Hi, welcome to What Are the Tax Implications? I'm Ron Scott. I'm Jeff Rosenthal. We are your first call tax advocates here once again to help increase your financial and tax knowledge. On this episode, we'll be discussing the following topics. The final tax return. In the year that a person passes away, they still have to file an income tax return. Additionally, we'll be talking about representing the estate of a decedent in front of the tax authorities. And lastly, basic estate administration. What do you do first, second, etc., when it comes to administering an estate? Whether you're the CEO of your household or of your business, questions constantly arise regarding the tax consequences of your financial circumstance. First Call Tax Advocates is always here to answer your questions and offer educational background regarding the potential tax implications of your action. Ron and Jeff are your first responders. They are board-certified financial and tax professionals with over 60 years of experience. Please visit their website, firstcalltaxadvocates.com. That's firstcalltaxadvocates.com. Learn more about them, explore their resources, and leave a review of your experience. For more urgent matters, please call them toll-free at 833-568-8999. That's 833-568-8999. The topics and responses discussed here are intended for general education. Our discussions are not intended to give you advice on your specific situation. We would advise you to seek advice from a competent and licensed professional. Tax law is always evolving and our discussions are based on the law existing to date. Our first caller today is Kyle from Kentucky. His situation is one where he wants to understand what his mom needs to do. Unfortunately, he lost his dad, Jeff. So Kyle lost his dad, and here we are in the middle of the year, and he's been hearing that he needs to do something with his dad's taxes. Um, The final tax return with his dad on it is needed. So with the final tax return, Jeff, what are the tax implications? Kyle, sorry for your loss. Ron, you and I talk about this kind of thing all day long. We have several of them a year. In the case of a married couple where one of them has passed, the surviving spouse still files a joint tax return for that particular year, even though one of them has deceased. The option for filing there is almost always chosen to be married filing jointly, though there is the rare occurrence or consideration of married filing separately, but the rates are so much better for married filing jointly. So there are good, compelling legal reasons to file separately, but the vast majority of the time people file jointly because they save money by doing so. In the case of filing jointly with a deceased person... You might ask, well, how does that person sign if they're no longer alive? When is the tax return due? What is the story? When is it due? Um, And and it's not unusual to have all of those 
really normal questions. Uh, the surviving spouse would sign as surviving spouse. You don't need a signature from the other person. The tax return is due when it is normally due. So, you know, those are really basic questions. It's a little bit similar, but still different. If, if there is no spouse involved, if the person is single and somebody dies, then the nearest relative or close friend or executor or administrator would file that tax return. So keeping it simple, Kyle, um, the tax return isn't due until April 15th. So assuming that your father passed away in 2020, we proceed normally with the tax return. The, the 2021 question is, what, what, what does your mom do then? We know we're going to go married filing jointly 2020. What about 2021? Jeff, what are some things to consider for that year after? If there are dependent children, then the surviving spouse, the mom in this case, would be a qualified widow uh, and she's eligible for that for two years. And that is calculating the tax return at the married joint rates. Um, uh, uh, and that's, that's the way that goes. If uh, there are no dependent children, then mom would be single. So in year 2020, married filing jointly. In year 20, years 2021 and 2022, filing as a qualified widow. And the next year after that, 2023, if there's still a dependent child and mom hasn't remarried, head of household. Right. That's exactly right. So, so Kyle, um, we don't know, you know, anything about your brothers and sisters. From the sound of your voice, you sound like you're over 21. But you know there are, there's nothing different about the filing of the taxes. The final tax return must be done by, you know, must be filed by April 15th. Uh, your, your CPA, your um, tax preparation professional will just proceed as he or she has normally done. Good okay. luck, Kyle. And Kyle, hang on one second. Oh, hold on. We'll probably do this in a whole nother section about head of household. There's a great deal of confusion as to what is a head of household. I'm single, I'm alone, so I'm the head of household. No, no, and no. In order to be, for tax purposes, the head of household, you need a dependent child. So um, uh, uh, that is likely a future topic we'll need to spend a little bit more time on. And I just wanted to go back and, and hit the nail on the head on that subject. Again, Kyle, good luck. Our next caller is Larry from Little Rock. And Larry's concern is um, he's working with other family members uh, on his rich uncle's estate. Yes, his, his uncle evidently has some significant wealth. He passed away a few years ago. And they're still kind of working through administration, but they've come up with a bit of a snag, Jeff. Um, it's, it turns out that the rich uncle owes money to the IRS. To a bigger uncle. Right. <laughs> to a bigger uncle. That's, that's a good point. So, so Larry's looking for advice on who can he turn to to help with a tax issue 
with a decedent. Is there a mechanism in place? There's absolutely a mechanism in place. And you can tell from uh, Googling the tax court rules uh, and, and cases that there are plenty of estates that still have ongoing issues, um, either over the inheritance issue or of what issues that popped up during the life of the person. And there's still plenty of those things to be had. So the good question, Ron, is who can who can represent who can speak for the uncle who who's the authority who can then hire the lawyer and the accountant who who can do that who is the who is the family personal representative so so larry do we have an executor to the estate of the rich uncle was there any trusts involved is there a trustee um did he not have a will where the court appointed an administrator? So there are a couple of uh, couple of gaps to fill. But let's say that we've identified the person. That's the person who would then have the responsibility to hire professionals to advocate for the estate of the decedent. So what is it that we would do in that case? We would follow through our normal representation processes, and but we would be dealing with Probably only one person, maybe two, if we're dealing with an executor or a trustee, right? Jeff, we are limited with who we could talk to. Right. The privacy rules are still the privacy rules. You can only speak to your client and not to anybody else. So in this case, the client is the representative, whoever that is, the spouse, the trustee, the administrator, the executor, whoever that person is, and maybe one other with permission. Um, but we just can't go standing on the street corner and talking about it. <laughs> There's a little bit more with uh, Larry's concern, Jeff. He has a lot of cousins that are asking for the money now. Can we have the money now? We'll deal with the tax issues later. And you can't do that, Ken. You can't pay out to the remainder beneficiaries or the remainder men uh, until the creditors have been paid. Yeah, and you also need leave of the court. The court can sequester the money. The court can do a partial release. Um, but at any rate, as long as a court is involved, uh, you have to inform the judge that there's ongoing um, need for the cash, and as well as ongoing disputed issues that we're, we're arguing with the taxing authorities. So your local state court, probate is a state matter, your state court is the place that you would get the permission to go do those things. So Larry, uh, ho hold off your cousins from doing something that would create a problem. Um, you don't necessarily want to get the money distributed because if it turns out that the IRS is due some of that money back, now we're going to be dealing with, with that, that talon that the IRS has, right, Jeff, where they can go in and claw back money. They can definitely do that. So if the um, administrator, executor, whoever distributes the money without permission – then the government can order that money to be clawed back. They'll go and take take the money right out of your account. Or if you went and bought assets, the government can seize those assets and sell them at auction. It's really not willy-nilly that you could just do as you please. You do need the leave of the court. You need permission of the court. 
Remember to follow the rules, Larry. And good luck. Remember, the First Call Tax Advocates, Ron and Jeff, are your first responders. Board-certified professionals, over 60 years of experience. Visit their website, firstcalltaxadvocates.com. That's firstcalltaxadvocates.com. Learn more, explore, and leave a review. For more urgent matters, call them toll-free at 833-568-8999. That's 833-568-8999. And for you subscribers, we offer a complimentary consultation to discuss your tax matter. Our next caller is Marjorie from Minneapolis. And Marjorie is helping a friend who lost her husband. Uh, We are not revealing the name, but Marjorie wants to know, where's the checklist? Jeff, where's the checklist? What do I do first? I want to help my friend. Is there an estate administration checklist? I've looked for one and you rarely find them. Sometimes you find it at the surrogate's court, but most of the time you will not find a checklist. So the best way is to call a qualified professional, a tax experienced tax person, an experienced lawyer, um, not just any lawyer, but an experienced estate or elder law attorney, and they'll go through the checklist. The, the internet is filled with information, right? So Marjorie has gone to the internet and is trying to find a checklist for the state of Minnesota. And you know what? She's very diligent. She's, she's looking and all she's found is a pamphlet. She found that pamphlet that you might see at probate court. Uh, what are your responsibilities as an executor? And it's kind of just all bullet points. So what we'll try to do, other than finding somebody to work with who can help you, as Jeff pointed out, a tax professional with experience, an estate planning attorney with experience, a certified financial planner with experience. You want to do it yourself? Uh, So we'll try to walk you through. So Jeff, what do you think could be a basic step one? It seems logical that you should first compile a list, an inventory, if you will, of what the assets are and how are they registered if, in fact, they are registered. So by that, I mean a bank account. How is it titled? Is it just single? Is it single in trust for? Is it an investment account? Is it an investment account with uh, with uh, uh, rights of uh, rights of a de- Transfer on death. Transfer on death. Thank you. That that got stuck in the brain there. Um, uh, is it a joint account with somebody? So the titling is very, very important. And that can be a whole section on itself. And we probably will do a lot of that here. Yeah, yeah that sounds like a, a, an episode of the future. So inventorying the assets. Also, try to find uh, documents like the last will of the decedent any side instruction letters that there may be. So the beginnings are the gathering of things, inventory, uh, you know, the assets they have and the liabilities, right? We want an inventory of the liabilities. Uh, Get those documents together, insurance contracts, annuity contracts, um, any benefits from the employer. Know what you need to know. Uh, The last file tax return might be a clue. It might not. Uh, watching the mail for the next 90 days might be a clue of what's coming in the mail. 
but yes, you want to you want to marshal. If there's unions, then there's probably union benefits. If you're a member of the automobile club. Uh, and the person dies in an automobile accident, there's life insurance that comes with your membership. And, you know, an experienced person would know this, but at any rate, you know, certainly start with the inventory list and the titling. So checklists are great. They can help you stay organized. But there may be something not on the checklist, right, that you may have to do. Uh, you may want to talk to people who knew the decedent, just, uh, you know, almost like interviewing people just to gather information. Um, next of kin. I mean, you need to find out who the next of kin are, Jeff, right? We have to find those those relatives and all over the world. They need to be notified. And that is as big a part of the inventory as anything. Who, who, who are the rightful heirs? Uh, and one other document that sort of seems like it goes without question, but not always, is the death certificate is very important. And we say, oh, very simple. Somebody dies, you get a death certificate. Not necessarily. Uh, people who certainly died in 9-11, death certificates were a big challenge and a natural disaster. Or better yet, what happens if the person died last year or two years ago and some tragedy occurred at the Hall of Records, uh, the, the Department of Health, the county seat, whatever, the building burned down, flew away in some kind of disaster. Getting a death certificate can be a real problem, and don't take that for granted. So, Marjorie, um, we're a great resource. Enrolled agents, fantastic resource to talk about what do I do if this occurs. Okay? Certified financial planners, estate planning attorneys, People with, with experience doing this, you know, great, great resources for you. The internet can be helpful, but eh, maybe it's time for the human touch. You know, Marjorie, I do this all day. So does Ron. We handle many of these uh, a year. Um, I was very emotional when I lost my brother. Uh, and the very first phone call that I made was to Ron to double check my checklist was, was the facts in my brain clouded by my loss or was I doing it right or did I miss something? And, you know, even if you do this stuff all day long, you can still go down the, 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 the foggy highway and you need a clear voice. So I called Ron and I don't mind sharing that story. Well, I remember that, Jeff, and I'm just glad I was able to help. Marjorie, for your for your widowed friends, our condolences, and you sound like a great friend trying to help her out. Good luck, Marjorie. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. You probably have additional questions, don't you? We are your first call. Remember, everyone's situation is unique, but we should be your first call. We are your first responders. The 911 operator doesn't call you. Please call us toll-free at 833-568-8999. Again, 833-568-8999. And visit our website at firstcalltaxadvocates.com. We'd love to know what you've learned today, so please leave a review on our website. We have attempted to appeal to a broad audience, but we want to help everyone if we can. On our next episode of What are the Tax Implications?, We'll be discussing the following topics. Dependent filing. If you are a dependent, 
and you have earned or unearned income, you'll have to file taxes. We'll discuss the minors and the, the elder majors when they are dependents and what are the tax implications. Also, Freedom of Information Act, FOIA, F-O-I-A, why the taxpayer wants to know what the IRS knows about them. And lastly, we'll be discussing deferred compensation, whether it be in a qualified retirement plan or non-qualified deferred comp plan and what are the tax implications. <laughs>